0: about halfway through the letters to uh, the churches of Revelation. And we're, we're you know, I, I keep thinking, uh, Calvin, when did you show up? Afraid you show up? That's pretty amazing. You know, because you weren't there earlier. Sorry, the sidebar. you weren't there earlier, right? Okay. Uh, thank you, brothers. You know, I think i heard something similar to that from the man on the other side of the aisle. He showed up 50 years ago. I really to say. I don't think can handle It's like father, like son. He in a home. Uh, 47-something again. You, know. you don't remember? <laughs> you don't remember being here? Okay. All right. Before I get too far off track, you know, uh, on that. Uh, but that to say to all of you all, I do know this when you're not here for a while, okay? Uh, you know, and then I notice when you show up. Uh, and then in my small brain sometimes I go there. Uh, and that includes those of you online. I know when you're here now. So there's a couple i actually missed this morning that I've not heard from on that. But we're about halfway through and and part of me keeps thinking that it's going to get a little easier. These letters are going to get a little easier. And then, I mean, I've, I've talked through Revelation. I know the story of Revelation. I often remember, right? Uh, you know, that sometimes it doesn't. And then I picked up, typically, you know, I started getting into things Monday, Tuesday. And, and I read, I go, oh, my goodness. Here we go again. You know, uh, and Tire is another one of those churches. You know, I really thought we were done with some things that we talked about last week, but, and, and again in, in the first letter of Ephesians, or of the Ephesus church, we're not. Yes. Yes. You know? Now we're going to get, come up to another couple of churches that are, are more positive than not, and then we get the only church that has nothing good, Jesus, to say about it. So uh, I don't know if we're on the upward end or if we're down, or you know, well, here we are. But as a kind of maybe a, a a word of review, you know, the letters so far has caused this about different churches, the different churches in Revelation that are literal churches and what they were going through. But I think they're also going to be uh, an idea we can go okay, which church are we kind of like, or which ones? Uh, a mix up a mashup. Ephesus had cold orthodoxy; they had right beliefs, but they they were. Whole and visioned and very much unloving. Smyrna was suffering under persecution. See, there was nothing that they needed to work on. No, nevertheless, I have this against you. They were a suffering church and a very simple church because of that. They couldn't get out on the other important issues. They had to be focused on the main things. Last week we talked about Pergamon and what I would call the idea of cheap race. Craig Keener, in his commentary, the NIV Nation commentary on Revelation, summarizes it this way, which is where this slide basically comes out of. He says, Ephesian, Ephesus, Ephesians Christians were tempted by rigidity and lovelessness, especially in a culture that is changing. We may want to get rigid and rigid and rigid, to protect our beliefs, but we will run the risk of lovelessness. Smyrnian Christians by persecution, Pergamon Christians by persecution, and prophets of compromise. Where the idea that go ahead and sin because God is greater than sin is seen in the life of Jesus. And it reminds us that the pressure to compromise is strong. In the early church, it was very strong. They're trying to figure out what it means to live out the the, the faith of who Jesus is, that he is king, that he is savior amongst a world that, that really there was no history for them. Like, we get the privilege, and we have the example of our forefathers and mothers in the faith, of those who've gone before us, to get this idea of. How we live in this world for the first-century church, the closest thing were Jew- the Jewish faith because they didn't see them as separate from that, but the fulfillment of it. But now, as I the Book of Revelation is being pinned, roughly in my opinion, between eighty and ninety uh, A.D., the Jewish faith is saying, "No, no, no, they're not like us enough." And so for the very first time, they're trying to figure this out in a world that is very hostile. To say Jesus is Lord was also to go against the idea that Caesar is Lord. And most of these cities, they were temples upon temples, and we're not just talking about temples to To gods that may have looked nice, but everyone knew they didn't really exist, but they would have a temple to the Caesar of the day, where they were to submit themselves to Caesar because he was to be their Savior. He was going to make all things right. Or as some at the birth of Christ would have maybe believed about the Caesar of the day, he was the Prince of Peace. Well, we know from scripture that's not the case. But the pressure to compromise was very, very strong. In Thyatira, they faced a compromise from economic pressures. And in all these cities, to some extent, but especially Thyatira, which was a trade city, was a manufacturing town, so to speak, it was this idea that they had to be a part of one of the guilds of the day. Very similar to, um, you know, professional organizations in our days, but much different in a lot of regards. This was, your very livelihood was tied to a guild, but those guilds weren't just loose connections. That's how you made any kind of living. But each guild had their own god. And they would have they would start their meetings with a, with a dinner, but it wasn't just a potluck dinner it was a dinner honoring that God of that trade. And the early church is trying to figure out what does this mean. Can I be a part of that? Can I be a part of that and not meet at the table and be faithful? Or do I have to just go, no, I can't be a part of it at all and figure out how I'm going to feed my family the rest of the week. This wasn't just a small matter for them. Thyatira didn't have maybe the wealth that Ephesus and others would have. The pressure to compromise economically, to feed one's family, was great. It was, to some extent, a life and death situation. You see how hard it was for the Soviet church to try to take this out. They weren't, this wasn't a compromise of maybe like Pergamon where they just wanted to go about and do whatever they wanted. This was a compromise that, as I might say, was oh, so, subtle. So. They wanted to do what's right, but they also want to still exist. And I would say, you know, where there may have been more in their face, our compromise today is one of subtlety. It is one where we may have uh, voices in our culture promising that they're going to resurrect what we need if we will just uh, align with them. Or a way of, well, it may be okay. Or no one will really know. The question we may ask, and I think if, to some extent, the question that was being asked in Thyatira is, can I get away with this? It talks about the prophetess Jezebel, and I'm not going to go in deep there. we got little ears and parents who need to teach on some of these things, but it's not my role necessarily. And there's lots there. But to some extent, the, the, the person's name was not Jezebel, but it, they were uh, in the characteristic of Jezebel of the Old Testament. That we're trying to get the nation of Israel to compromise in their belief of who, G- who God was in the Old Testament and for this church, who is Jesus? And they, they may have been encouraging, hey, it's okay, you can get away with this. No one will know. And Paul wrote earlier in the book of I believe, Timothy where he talked about there, there is coming a day when people will, will uh, teach things that that people like, that will kind of tickle their ears. But that is going to be a false time. <clears throat> that it, it isn't going to be true. 2 Timothy 3. And it's the goal that we would stand firm in the faith. He says later in that same letter of 2 Timothy, he says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, courage with great patience and careful under instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their pitching ears one to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you, Timothy, and I would say you, O oh church, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all of the duties of your ministry. The problem with some of these churches in retirement is that as is, is part of it, it, it wasn't that they were necessarily seeking out false teaching, but, but they were starting to be pressured in such a way that they said, well, does this, does this really matter if I hold to this? Well, maybe I can get away with this and still be a Christian. And friends, I would say that's it's very similar to what we live in today. And I can I get away with this and still be a Christian? Do two wrongs make a right? Does character matter in all things? Or is it okay to slide things off over here, but as long as we're good enough, we're there? Are we wanting to hear things that make life easy? Or are we willing to to realize that, that there are some things that are not true. That's hard work. And we must know the scripture. We must look into scripture and struggle with scripture to answer those questions. We must sit with others and ask those hard questions so we do not unintentionally or intentionally compromise. We need a group of people around to get there. And we need those of us who are older in the faith to take someone who is younger in the faith and mentor, disciple, one-on-one and in small groups just to pass on what we know to somebody else That to hear the questions we've gotten so used to in our church world of programs, which are good, discipleship and, and, and such, but we cannot lose fact that I believe we're coming into a world where one-on-one mentorship and discipleship is going to be the key to passing on the faith and discipling the faith and to opening up the scriptures. Paul said to Timothy, and I think it goes to any of us who are older in our faith,
1: keep your head in all situations, with patience,
0: preach the word, Patience, loving one another. You don't need a certain degree to mentor someone else. What you need is to be in the Word and be willing to say, here's what I hear. And to know this, Jesus sees all and knows all. In this letter, we read some very encouraging things, I think, to this church. It can't be to us, but it's also an idea that these words that we read about Jesus here may can comfort you, but they may also convict you. And I think the purpose was both. He says, "We get this picture of Jesus. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished." It goes on to say, in, in verse 23, All the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus sees all this imagery. In that, in that town there was this idea that, that there may have been de- a deity that was kind of light and kind to see in. And what John is saying, look, there is one who sees all and knows all. And it isn't these temples here. It isn't the Caesar. It is Jesus, the Son of God. It was a statement in of itself. i saying, say, look, he is the true Savior. And if you think you can get by with something, know this, you cannot. At the same time, if you are facing the, the pressure of compromise and you are standing firm, we know, hear these words. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance. And I will repay everyone according to their deeds. Jesus sees when you're being faithful. And there were many in this church that were being faithful. And Jesus saw that. The, the, the idea of the eyes, the blazing eyes of fire, wasn't a conviction to them, but should be a comfort to them. The idea of their feet, his feet being, you know, uh, this idea of bronze. I mean, that goes back to some extent to Old Testament time, but also this this town was proud of the fact that they were bronze makers. And manufacturing you know, of things of bronze. And Jesus said, look, in a, in a city that wants to pressure you, to compromise so that you exist, know that I am the one who will sustain you. I am the one who will provide for you. If you will take a stand, or if you will continue on, my feet are fitted securely to the ground. You don't have to worry what will happen. I will take care of you. Would that not be encouraging to you if you were these people? I know there's pressure all around. I paraphrase. I know that, that some of you are really struggling with how do I honor this Jesus in a world that doesn't know him? And hang on, I got you. In a world that wants us all to be the next best thing. In a world that highlights, in our day and age, multi-million dollar deals. We all want to be Joe Joe Burrow, right? I mean, how many millions of dollars does he make every day? A whole lot what? Uh, How many injuries does he have? Yeah, see, we want the good side of that, but you know, uh, we don't want the side that uh, nothing against the Bengals, that's in lean towards being a Bengals fan. I can almost guarantee you, he's going to get knocked down again today. And I know this much. He can't pay me enough to have a bunch of big dudes coming after me just to win on me. Okay? My man's called for with assist every day in that space. But we highlight that, do we not? We highlight, hey, you need the bigger, the better thing. That'll make life easier. And sometimes in that, we compromise. Or sometimes we just think, well, no one else really will know. But Jesus searches. And he always finds. How we live matters. And in, in this letter, we find that Jesus takes serious his reputation. Those who are compromising, maybe in great ways, maybe uh, it wasn't unknown in those days that to be a part of a, a temple cult of the days, you would do things that seem unimaginable to us today. God says, don't worry. I will take care of you. And sometimes we need to have faith in that. But what I love about this letter is towards the end, we see the heart of Jesus. He said, I have searched hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you. Verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in fire to you who do not hold to those teachings and have not learned the deep, dark secrets. See, part of what was going on is they were promising to unveil more, scripture, more knowledge than what Scripture tells us. In a way of trying to be certain, we will find things, and I will tell you up for conspiracy theories start to come up. There's a little bit of truth, and they say, well, this is the real truth, That really it, it's just a version of something. But there's enough truth in there to say, see, and we, as the people of God, need to be very, very careful. We don't allow ourselves to go down a path of trying to figure out everything because we have a God who knows all. And that's where we ought to go for knowledge. But he says this, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have. Paul, Jesus was asking them and us to do this. Just keep Going. You know, there were many here who were doing good things. The letter says, You have continued on. You are doing more now than you were at the beginning. You are persevering on. So he says, I'm not going to burden you any more than just keep going. Any of you who have ever overcome an addiction know there is a the saying that goes in with the 12 steps that was uh, originally started at its foundation. Um, with Christians of overcoming alcohol and AA, here's a statement there that says one day at a time. Not today. And if you interact with anybody who's been in addiction, you know that even if you're 50 years clean and sober, most of them will say, I just do it one day at time. You know, there was great wisdom there. I think Jesus taught that a little bit when he said, "Do not worry about tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear." Look at the fields, look at the flowers, look at the birds. I take care of them, and none of them are going. Oh, I wonder what I'm going to wear today. Okay, a bird self so think, not that you we know of, communicating. I wonder where food is going to be today. They're, they're provided for many different ways, and if we would just have the attitude of not today. I will not compromise today. Yeah, like it, and I will not compromise today. Today I will be faithful. Because you know what? The beauty of Scripture is Jesus says, I'm coming back. It might be today, so I don't This hour I will be faithful. Not this hour. I won't compromise this hour. I'll just keep moving forward. Just this next hour. And just the next. And the next. I'll just keep going on. And Jesus says, that's what I asking. And to the one who will keep going on, he says, do not worry. You will rule with me with an iron scepter. I will give the one who overcomes the morning star, which is later in Revelation, Jesus is the morning star. How that looks I, I don't know this day. But I know Jesus calls us to keep going on. In this world, the pressure compromised may be great. But the power of faithfulness is great it. And here the Lord says, just keep going on. You can do it. And we'll do it one day, one hour at a time. And this is why Jesus gives us these reminders this day that we as a church uh, celebrate every month. You know, reminders of the fact that our, our, our way of living is one where we realize that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is what sustains us. And He is over all. He gives life, and he saves life. He sustains life. And so, as we get ready to take part in communion,